We are going to finish up 1 Corinthians tonight and head into 2 Corinthians. I think we'll spend two weeks in 2 Corinthians, uh, even though it deserves more. Um, 2 Corinthians is full of amazing stuff. It's a little bit harder to follow than 1 Corinthians because it's not as, you know, it's not responding to certain things. It's, it's you know how you come into a conversation and you're kind of well into the conversation? And they're talking about things that were said a little while ago and referring back to things. That's what 2 Corinthians is. It's, it's an even in, in, in a more advanced stage of the conversation, the back and forth between Paul and the Corinthian church uh, than 1 Corinthians is. He starts that kind of back and forth, and he's referring to things that they've said or things that he's heard about them. That, even, that advances even more in 2 Corinthians. So um, read through 2 Corinthians, if you can, this week. Read through it. Um, try and keep a thread on, you know, this is one of the ones where, where Paul kind of takes you on a rodeo, <laughs> a rodeo journey, where he's over here and you're like, we get way deep into this, then we come back over here. And even the, the tone of it is, wow, this is really amazing stuff. And then, wow, I feel really convicted. And he's kind of like yelling at them now. And he's like, how dare you? But, but, Look how glorious God is, and how dare you? And, you know, it's like this up and down. So, Second Corinthians is the assignment this week. Try and read the whole thing. You don't have to get stuck in one part, but if you do, it's fine. Um, just try and get the the lay of the land. Kind of read the whole letter, and then we'll we'll spend a couple weeks there. Um, and if something sticks out to you in Second Corinthians, because there's a lot of just like passages that you could just spend a lot of time in, smaller passages. If there's a, a particular part of it that sticks out to you, let me know, um, and, and we can maybe dedicate some, some extra time to that. All right, so we are in chapter 15 tonight, and this is a big, big chapter, big, big truth, um, and then we'll, we'll finish up. We'll, we'll say a couple things about chapter 16. Um, chapter 16 is a classic Paul sign-off, where he starts giving the shout-outs. You know, say hi to this person and this person, and let me tell you about this. Those are some of my favorite parts of Paul's letters, where he just starts, I don't know, you somehow just get zoomed into his life. You know, just the the more human side. Not the Paul, Pauline epistle guy, but just Paul the, the churchman, you know. Paul the preacher. Paul the traveling apostle. And uh, so there's, some, there's always some good stuff that, that pops out in those, um, in the greetings and general instructions. Okay, let's pray real quick. <clears throat> Father, we thank you again for your word and how powerful it is, how much it uh, pierces our hearts. And we thank you for this letter that we've been going through and ask that you give us insight, Lord, that you give us soft hearts. To hear, uh, Lord, what, what you would say to us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so throughout 1 Corinthians, Paul is addressing specific situations, both that he has been made aware of by reports, and also that direct questions from the Corinthian church. Um, but the way he goes about addressing those 
is he says, we need to build out a framework from which we can address these issues. And so he builds out the framework, and the framework is basically Christ crucified. Christ crucified is the foundation from which we need to operate, from which we need to do all of our thinking, all of our reasoning, all of our addressing practical concerns. We have to start there, because if we don't start there, we're going to end up puffed up. It's going to be some other thing that we're using to think through situations, to position ourselves in the community. And we're going to end up divided and in factions based on those things. So he just gives some glorious truth in the opening chapters about the cross and how upside down it is. But actually it's how right side up it is and how upside down everything else is except the cross. Our view of wisdom, our view of power, our view of knowledge. He said like, we, we take these things and we puff ourselves up with them. So Paul's concern is not to just solve problems. Paul's not a problem solver. He's a worldview changer. That's, that's his mission, to change the way you think. I don't want to just solve your problem. You can't, I'm, just, I'm not going to give my apostolic rubber stamp on solutions to the things that you've determined are issues. He says, I want you to change, about, change the entire way that you think through issues. So he's not just correcting behavior. He's not offering solutions. He's offering entire frame of mind, an entire worldview rooted in the truth of the gospel. And he says, now start there, and then you can determine what kinds of behavior line up with that. And you'll see very clearly, and he says you should be seeing a lot more clearly than, than you are right now, you'll see very clearly what kinds of behavior lines up with that. He says there's stuff going on in your church that even the pagans could look at it and go, well, that's, that's messed up. And he says, and you guys have started, you're so immature in your thinking that, that when you see that situation, you somehow can cover it over with some sort of rationality, some sort of uh, weird, weird um, conception of freedom in Christ. All things are permissible. All things are lawful. He's like, but this isn't, you're not living in line with the gospel that I preached when I was there. And so we've read through the opening of the letter with the long description of the, how, how fundamental the cross of Christ is to everything that uh, the church should be about um, and how it renders any posture of arrogance completely absurd, any posture of puffed up, any position of power, coercion, right? He says that no human being should boast in the presence of God. That's what the cross comes in and does. It just levels everything that a human being might use to boast itself in the presence of God. He says, we are people, (laughs) none of whom should be boasting or be proud of something in the presence of God. I mean, he is the one who was crucified for our sins. And so here at the end of the letter... He's going to circle back around to the central message that's, that's, he's woven in through the whole book, but he's going to really fill it out. And, it, and in the beginning, it was Christ crucified. Here in chapter 15, it's the other side of that message, which is the resurrection, right? The crucifixion is the, the historical event that happened, that changed, that fundamentally changed reality, reoriented it right side up, 
And those who have been baptized into Christ have been flipped back right side up. And he says, but living this way, and this is what we see in the middle of the letter, living this way causes such tension and distress that life gets really complicated. And everything that you do in the flesh now, in your body, is this strange combination of, well, I live in a physical body. I have this, this human body still. Like when I got saved, I didn't become a different kind of, I still have my body. This is the body that came up out of the water, a baptism. But I have this new reality inside of me, which is Christ and him crucified. And this is the, the, the principle by which I live now. And so that means, what does that mean for me now in this body? And all through the letter, he's very concerned that they understand that what you do in the body is now is very important. Right? We haven't just said, all right, now there's a spiritual reality and the bodily reality is just, you know, take it or leave it. That was the prevailing philosophies of the day. This, this divide between immaterial and material world. And the immaterial world is the superior world and the material world is inferior. And Paul says, well, that's not what the gospel is, is calling us to. Out of the material world and into the superior immaterial world. He says, in fact, what the gospel is, is that God's very, very good and perfect world has now broken into this material world and is transforming it. And where, cur- where, where sin's curse has come and taken over, God's truth and, the, and the, the power of the cross has broken that curse and is now reversing it wherever the, the message of the gospel goes. And he says, Corinthian church, it came to you. And this is what changed everything for you. And it's what's going to continue to change your lives as you let it and as you submit to it. So in this portion, he shifts now to that, to the, he's future oriented now. He, we've been oriented toward the implications of the crucifixion of the Messiah. And now we're going to look toward what does this mean for where we're headed, right? Here's what's happened. Here's what it means for now. And here's where it's all headed. Okay. So chapter 15, I would, now I would remind you brothers of the gospel. And he's going to bring it back to remember when I was with you. Remember he spent 18 months there and he's had other exchanges with them. Remind you of the gospel. I preach to you, which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved. That's loaded. That's loaded. But he says, I preached it to you. You received it. It's what helps. It's what you now stand in. And you are now being saved by the gospel. This is an aspect of of salvation that is kind of forgotten these days. Saved becomes like this switch that's flipped. Right? Are you saved or unsaved? It's like this very black or white thing. And there's truth to that. Right? Are you in Christ or not? But also, once you, once you begin that journey, once you begin that new life, then you mature. And the more you mature, the more you are being saved and being transformed. And so there's a progressive aspect to the truth of the gospel once it's received. You receive it, black and white. Boom, I repent. But then as you stand in it and live in it, it is progressively saving you from 
the corruption. Uh, and and it's, it's driving out, just like, just like the church is driving out the curse in the earth, the gospel in your life is driving out the curse of every last corner of your life. Right? And it needs to get into all of the things that you do and think so that it can all be transformed and all be saved and delivered from the power of darkness. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain, or it's really otherwise, you believed in vain. If, if the gospel hasn't come to you, and if your belief didn't lead to it transforming every area of your life, well, then what was the point of believing? It's just another philosophy to add to your collection of philosophies of life. It's just another self-help book to put on the shelf with the rest of your self-help books. He's like, this isn't. We've cleared off the whole shelf, and there's one book now. And that's the book that we live by. And it's the gospel. For I delivered to you as of first importance. He said, remember when I was with you guys? I told you, this is the key. This is the key to everything. You didn't believe me. You took it and it was like, yay, now let's go live our lives in, in our pagan <laughs> mindsets. No, I told you, this is of first importance. You've got to start here and stay here. What I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. And if you ever want, if you ever find yourself at a loss for what is the gospel? I hear that a lot. What is the gospel? I know I'm supposed to preach the gospel, to, to share the gospel with people. What is the gospel? This is as good a place of, as any in Scripture to memorize, to have it in your heart as a shorthand way to present the gospel. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That he was buried... So the, the way this is set up is the first big claim is that Christ died for our sins. All right, and the proof of that is he was buried. Right? He was dead, dead. It wasn't a partial death. It wasn't a figurative death. He was in the ground. Right? He, had, he, was, he was killable, <laughs> and he got killed all the way. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So he died, and he was raised. That's it. Christ died and Christ was raised. That's the gospel. Those are the two major movements of the gospel. Both of which he says in accordance with the scriptures and both of which he backs up with a proof. So he died, buried. He was raised. All these people saw him. We don't just have one eyewitness or two. We've got hundreds. He said, saw the risen Messiah. He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then more than 500 brothers at one time. And guess what, guys? There was this crazy story. I was on my way to Damascus after, after having just signed off on the public execution of a servant of God. And Jesus came and stood there and said, Paul, you got to stop it. <laughs> Paul, what are you doing? Admire the zeal, but it's pointed in the complete opposite direction. Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus stood there and he said, I am the Lord that you've given your life to, that you've devoted your life to, that your family raised you to know. Why are you killing me? 
And that changed everything for Paul. And he said, so last of all, he appeared to me. As, one, as to one untimely born, I'm the least of all the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Jesus came and got me. I was the worst of the worst. I mean, when you look at it, that's the worst you can do. Right? Kill the people who God has saved. But by the grace of God, and this is a great chiasm, by the grace of God I am what I am. All God, by the grace of God. And his grace for me was not in vain. Right? And this is, this kind of flies in the face of some of the Calvinist ideas of, you know, grace just comes and bowls you over. And it, you can't resist it. You can't, you can't earn it. You can't resist it. Grace is an irresistible grace. It's the eye in tulip. Um, he says, but just the idea that, that God's grace could be in vain kind of turns that on, on its head. Right? That God can offer grace that can fall on hard soil, basically. He says, but his grace was not in vain because I took that grace and I worked hard. But it wasn't me. It was the grace of God in me. Right? Grace to me, I receive it. I work hard, but all that effort is grace. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Probably these other teachers that they're, you know, aligning themselves with. I worked harder than any of them. And he catches himself. <laughs> Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. You've got to love zealous Paul, right? So zealous, but so quick to give God the glory and to give the grace of God all the credit. And then he gives this little disclaimer. Whether then it was I or they, it doesn't matter who delivered this gospel to you. That's the gospel. I don't care if this was this gospel, Christ died, buried, Christ was raised, seen all over the place. I don't care if that was delivered by Apollos. I don't care if it was delivered by anyone else. That's the gospel. That's what we preach. That's what you believed. That's what changes everything. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, and then he addresses, we don't believe in the resurrection. Probably it's not talking about, their, their view, the view that he is coming against, it's probably not that resurrection is uh, impossible. Like in the, in the modern way that, well, no, it's the, it belongs to the supernatural, so it's not possible. That's, they didn't live in a materialistic worldview. They very much believed in the supernatural. So why didn't they believe in the resurrection of the dead? They didn't believe in the resurrection of corpses. There was something after life, sure. But it's not bodies coming up out of the ground. What is that? I mean, we don't, so basically what they're saying is we don't believe in zombies. <laughs> we don't believe that these bodies that we bury, no, they're there. And they go on to bigger and better things in other realities. Right? 
sure there's a supernatural. But the way that it manifests itself isn't physical. Bo- Why would a physical body need to come back out of the ground? I mean, leave that behind. We're on to better things. Paul says, no, that's not the hope. That's a pagan hope. That's not, that's not the hope of the gospel. He says, so first of all, we've got to attack this view that there is no resurrection. Let me just say, there is. That's an, it's, you, cannot, you cannot separate that from the gospel. He says, this is the gospel. I received it. It's proven upon proven upon proven. He's a, and, and it's not just me saying it. It's anyone who's ever preached the gospel has said this thing, that Christ was raised. All right? So stop saying there's no resurrection of the dead. Or stop saying it's figurative or whatever. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Then what we preached doesn't mean anything. Because it's so inseparable from the gospel that if you take that away, you've taken away the gospel. Right? And we've got to believe this about resurrection. I mean, we kind of like, oh yeah, resurrection, it's... It's the central fact of the gospel. Right? That's why Easter is the biggest holiday in the church. It is the central fact of the gospel. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. There has been no life-changing event. You're still stuck in that same life that you were before if there's no resurrection of the dead. And also, he says, Bobby Sue, that passed away last week, never see him, her again. Is Bobby Sue a boy's name or a girl's name? (laughs) Those who also have fallen asleep have perished. They're gone, gone. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. He says, you take away the truth of the resurrection and nothing else makes sense about the way that we're called to live. Now, the way that they were living might make sense. Some of the issues that he's addressed might make sense. You know, all right, yeah, we can, we can continue to eat meat sacrifice idols. We can continue to uh, go to the temple prostitutes. This guy can marry his stepmother. And he says, you guys are living like there's no resurrection. You're living like this life is, is the best thing that the gospel has to offer. And he says, that's false. No, we're called to live... As Christ, we're called to have the mind of Christ. We're called to lay our lives down, sacrifice ourselves. We're called to pursue love the most excellent way in laying down our lives. And as we do that in this life, it looks pretty bad. And Paul's going to get into the, into the specifics of how bad it can get for someone who pursues a life of love in 2 Corinthians. He's going to fill out, man, guys, we were stoned. We were left for dead. We were shipwrecked. Every day there's some new problem. 
And it certainly doesn't feel good to live this way. So if this is all we have, if this life is what we're living for, then, man, we, we have the worst lives of anyone. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He says, thank goodness that's not the case. And then he says he's the first fruits. So not only has Christ been raised from the dead, but Christ was the inauguration of something that all of us are going to participate in. He was the first fruits, and there's many, many, many more to come. As by a man came death, by a man has also come resurrection of the dead. As many people are now going to die because of Adam, which is everybody, that many people are going to be resurrected because of Jesus. That's an amazing thing. The destiny of the human race is no longer death. The destiny of the human race is resurrection. Now some to judgment and punishment, but also some to eternal life. But no matter what the, what the final destination is, the destiny of the human race is now resurrection from the dead because Jesus was raised from the dead. As in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Now, it doesn't mean all will be saved, ultimately, but it means that all will be raised. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ, then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign. And this is that, this is that, um, that, that, that kingdom, this is, this is military language. Right? Something has begun and it's going to be sweeping across the whole earth. And he must reign, this is a military campaign, until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Everything that opposes the reign of God will be put to death, will be destroyed. The last enemy to be destroyed is death itself. That's an amazing thing. And at the resurrection of the dead, death will be undone death will have no power anymore because everybody will be brought back to life that's pretty crazy stuff god has put all things in subjection under his feet Uh, verse 29 otherwise what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead now we'll get into this Paul is not necessarily advocating being baptized on behalf of the dead. What's he saying? He says, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? He's saying, you guys even have, some of you are being baptized on behalf of the dead. So you must believe that there's something coming. There's something significant coming down the road. If the dead are not raised at all, why do some of you guys... Why are are some of you baptized on behalf of the dead? And he says, why are we in danger every hour? Why Why do we do all this? Why do we put ourselves in danger? Why do we go to the synagogues where they're probably going to react poorly at the preaching of Jesus as the Messiah? They're probably going to run us out of town because that's what they do in every other town. And we still do it because that's the mission that God's given us. 
I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. There's something every day that's coming after me to kill me. Why do I do that? What do I gain? If, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus, probably referring to those riots that happened, right? The whole city was in an uproar. And it was, I mean, it was like rioting in the streets. It was dangerous stuff. People were dying. People were being thrown in jail. If the dead are not raised, forget all this stuff. Forget the hard, narrow road. Let's eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow we die. Or he just says, let us eat and drink. For tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. So he says, let us eat and drink. For tomorrow we die. Which is probably a quote of some, uh, some pagan philosopher. No, actually, in that one is, uh, that's in Isaiah in the 20s. Where people are responding to a threat of destruction on Jerusalem. God's coming to judge you. And rather than repent, they just kick back and say, well, let's, get, let's make the most of it. Right? He says, if there's no resurrection of the dead, you're no better than old Israel under the threat of the punishment of God. Not turning, not repenting at that, but rather just saying, well, might as well do what we can with the life that we have. Then he says, don't be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. That's a quote from a Greek poet or a Greek playwright. So what's he saying? He's he's using a line from Greek philosophy and he says, hey guys, bad company corrupts good morals. He means stop thinking through things in a pagan way. You hang out with those pagan philosophers, your mind is going to be all messed up. Even the pagan philosophers say, Bad company corrupts good morals. <laughs> right? Paul's reversing the, uh, the pagan proverb, or he's using a pagan proverb to instruct the, uh, the Corinthians. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning. Right? Don't, don't persist in the life of a pagan. Understand that something new has happened. Open your eyes to what has happened. And live differently. For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. Some of you guys, you you have not understood the gospel. You don't understand God. You You don't know what has actually happened. Then he gets into the real heart of their their issue with the resurrection. Someone will ask, How are the dead raised? And that doesn't mean, again, that doesn't mean. How is it possible for something that's supernatural to happen? They're saying, well, then what would it look like for a corpse to come out of the ground? How does that work exactly, Paul? How are the dead raised? And he, they clarify the question, what kind of body? I need, I need details, Paul. If you're so intent on the resurrection, what does this actually look like? Right? And what if, you know, what about people that have been cremated? And what about, you know, someone whose leg uh, was deformed? And what about someone who was beheaded? You know, what about that, Paul? I need to know about these bodies that are coming up out of the ground. <laughs> he just says, 
And I think this is kind of sanitized in our, in our translations, but he says, you idiot. That's his response. Shut up. I'm sick of these petty questions. Right? And that, that he's getting fed up with the way that they want to answer, ask questions. Right? The whole time he's like, what about this, Paul? And what about this? He's like, guys, just zoom out a little bit. Hear what I'm saying. And then that's when he talks about the resurrection body. Now, this, this gets a little bit crazy when you read this. It's like, what is he saying? But he's using metaphors. He says, listen. When I say that tree started as a seed, you don't go, well, how? If I tell you that this little seed is going to become a big tree, he's like, you understand that. It goes into the ground, something happens to it, and it comes up, and it's different. It's different than the seed went into the ground, right? So are you tracking with me? Can your, your little minds grasp what I'm saying? He's like, so how is it different? What you sow, so he's saying, guys, stop thinking about the corpses that go into the ground. I'm talking about the ones, the things that come out of the ground. That's what we're talking about. He's like, you're all obsessed. We don't sit around and look at trees and go, well, what about the seeds? He's like, no, look at the trees. Guys, come on, this is an amazing thing. Not all flesh is the same. There's one kind for humans, another for animals. There are heavenly bodies, earthly bodies. So he says, first of all, we understand that there's different kinds of bodies, right? That there's an animal kind of body. So, okay. So, first of all, just broaden your mind about the meaning of what a body can be. Right? There's different kinds of bodies. A human being... And we call stars heavenly bodies. Well, those are two very different kinds of bodies, and they have different kinds of, of glory. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. One glory of the sun, another glory of the moon. And so he says, and so that's what it is. So that's how it is with the resurrection of the dead. And you go, got it, Paul. Crystal clear. Not really. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks for the analogies, Paul. I'm still a little bit lost. That's how it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. The corpse that goes into the ground, yes, perishable. That's not the thing that's coming back out of the ground. What is raised is imperishable. It's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. Sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It is sown, and this is where, this is where you really, having a little bit of, of Greek hints, or some kind of study Bible really helps. Because these words, you understand the difference between a natural body and a spiritual body if you understand the difference between a soul and a spirit. Because those are the words that are used. So just take everything you know about the difference between a soul and a spirit, apply it to this, and you're good to go. Everybody good? Clear? Yeah. That's what he says. He says it's a natural body, and the word is psychic. I mean, that would be our transliteration for it. Suke, the word for soul or self. This is, and it's translated here, natural. 
It's not merely physical. That would be a, that would be a, a mistranslation. Because it's not just talking about merely physical, like material. It's not what goes into the ground is material, what comes up is immaterial. That's the false dichotomy. Okay, that's not the world that we're operating in. He says, you have a body as a soul. And he compares it to Adam. He says, Adam became a life, a, a living soul. It's the same word. When God breathed into Adam, he became a living suke, living soul. And he says, now take that idea, and instead of, instead of a living soul, you become an embodied spirit. Now that, that'll blow your mind. But that's who Jesus is, right? God took the dust and made Adam and breathed into the dust and became one kind of body. Well, what about when, the man, when, when a man from heaven took on flesh and came down and was full of the spirit and wasn't from the dust but was from heaven? That's what we're destined for. Not dust anymore. But do you see how it's not just, it's not flesh and blo- uh, bones anymore. It's whatever a, an embodied spirit is, that's what we're destined for. Right? And it's of a higher bodily order than these bodies that we have. And it's imperishable. I hate to say it, but this makes me think of that movie Avatar. Right? Where the guy gets in and his legs don't even work. But man, in the blue people world, he is a god of war. Right? Like it takes several really large machines to even come close to bringing them down. It's a different order of body. Right? Now, I probably just spoiled this whole thing. But it's something like that. Where... You're still a body, and it's still you. But just take the soul away and replace it with spirit. Something to chew on. Right? But it's a, it's a new kind of body. Because Jesus was raised, obviously. And he was raised with a body. And that's what our destiny is as well. So he says, the first man was a man from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust... So also are those who are of the dust. That's us now. And from the time between now and when we go into the ground. But when we come up, and as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust. Now this is the cool thing. We shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I mean, humanity, not just in pre-fall glory, but beyond that. Right? We think of, oh man, what, how, how must human life have been before the fall? This is even better than that. And that's what we're headed for. And then he says, I'm telling you this, flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God. Like you guys couldn't carry out your God-given duties in the kingdom of God 
in these bodies that are dest- in these bodies that are decaying and getting closer to the grave every day. He said, "There's a, there's another life on the other side of that, and ultimately that is, uh, you know, it's you, know, you think of all these." Ways that, that people have tried to describe it. I think Narnia is a great way to describe it. You know, they, they go into the closet and they emerge kings and queens of Narnia, right? It's them, but they're kings and queens. And everything's different and everything's changed. And it's, it's still them, but in a king's body. It's still her, but in a, a queen's body. Behold, I tell you a mystery. You're like, yes, thank you, Paul, for admitting that. This is a mystery. We don't really understand this. All the dead will be raised, and this perishable body, perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. It's beautiful. And so he says, so, verse 58, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord... Your labor is not in vain. Why is it not in vain? Because we're going to be raised. And the extent to which we give ourselves to use these broken, decaying bodies to the glory of God and get glory for God through this, how much more those heavenly bodies? We will be prepared to take on much more strength, much more power, much more authority, much more beauty, and wield it in a way that brings glory to God. That's an amazing thing. We take our little shreds, our little glimmers of that, and we use it and we squeeze it out to our own advantage as much as we can. In these broken bodies. And he says, if you just understand, this body is for the glory of God. And we are destined for an even greater body, for even greater glory for God. Start now. Use the body you have. And, and in the resurrection, you will be raised and you will inherit the kingdom of God. Amen? So he says, that's, and at that point, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, Hang in there. Labor. Knowing that it's not in vain. It's not headed nowhere. Set your, set your mind on the resurrection. On the hope of the resurrection. Live in that reality now. And it will be even greater when you get there. All right, that's, that's about all the time we have. I, I think if I get into anything in chapter 16, I'll go off on some tangent and we'll be here another 35 minutes. Um, I like right here what it says. Be watchful, verse 13. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. <laughs> it's not like that. Act like men. Be strong. And here's how you act like a man. Let all that you do be done in love. He keeps coming back to that. It's, it's love. The glory, of that, the glory of that resurrection life is that it's just love overflowing and praise to God overflowing. 
he gives some shout outs. I like when he talks to, about Stephanus. He says the household of Stephanus, they were the first converts in Achaia. And they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Because these guys, they've been with us from the beginning. They were the first ones to say, and they have just been devoted the whole time. And he goes, these are the ones that you should be subject to. Right? Don't find the best speaker. Don't find the flashiest ministry. Find the people who have been faithful for the longest to the service of the saints. Submit your lives to them. And he says, I got to tell you about this Stephanus in his house. Because probably Stephanus wasn't going around promoting himself and gaining disciples from him. He said, you know, guys, if you want to align yourself with someone, align yourself with people like Stephanus. Give recognition to such people. They refresh my spirit. And then he closes it out with, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. So Paul closes out the letter practicing what he preached. He says, I love you all. I am for you. And I am praying for the grace of God to come into community and and. Uh, minister these things to you as I write them. Amen? All right, well, there's some, I mean, there's, there's big ideas. I love 1 Corinthians because you get way down in the weeds in some of these issues, you know? How to relate between the opposite sex. How to relate to meat sacrificed to idols. How to do the Lord's Supper. Something about head coverings. Uh, spiritual gifts. All this stuff that Paul's addressing and you go from that and you just go to like, I think, some of the highest heights of mind-blowing ideas about the destiny of the human race and life after death and, and what is the resurrection body. Well, it's an embodied spirit. What? That's amazing stuff. And so I just love how he, he starts out with the cross of Christ and he just goes down into all their little questions. He comes back out in the resurrection of Christ. It's just a beautifully crafted letter. Um, and I'm looking forward to continuing uh, through Paul in these coming weeks. All right. Well, um, how, can we, how can we approach the table tonight? Um, I, think it's, I think it would be good to, to recognize that uh, what Jesus did in the body that the Lord gave him was he allowed it to be broken. And he said, this is my body, right? That's been, that's been a big theme all through the letter. The body, what you do in the body. The body is important. Jesus' own body, he said, this is my body. Take it and eat it. This is for you. And so, as we come to the table tonight, I want us to consider... And then he talks about, you know, giving your body, the authority over your body. In marriage, it belongs to your spouse. And even outside of marriage, it belongs to the Lord. The body belongs to the Lord. It's a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so as we approach the table, I want us to think about the body of Christ and discern the body.
He says, come to the table and examine yourselves. And realize that, that he offers his body for you. That Christ offers his body to you. Christ offers his blood to you. And that's, that's pure grace. Right? And if we approach the table in any other manner, then this is pure grace. This is totally undeserved. And we're probably not approaching it correctly. But as we approach it in that manner, we need to understand that we receive real life, real nourishment. That spiritual body is being fed inside of us as we partake of the body of our Lord. And uh, so let's just set our minds on the fact that our Lord offers his body to us, his life, his blood to be our lives. And uh, that is just a, a foretaste of the resurrection body to come and the life that will participate in him. And we will bear the image of the man of heaven. Just like we bear the image of Adam and we are destined for, for the grave in this life, in the age to come, we bear the image of this one who offered us his body and his own blood. Amen.